Amen, amen. What a great job our kids did this morning in singing and praising the Lord together. And our worship team as well. Praise the Lord for you this morning. It is Christmas season, and that means a new series for us. We have finished the book of Acts, and we are moving into a new series called The Tree. And I'm sure you're looking forward to this as much as I am. But in this new series, we are going to track the theme of the tree through the Bible. Now, you may be wondering, what does the tree have to do with the Bible? Or what does the tree have to do with Christmas? Obviously, we all see these trees, beautiful trees that we have here. Some of you may have a tree that is decorated in your home. And uh, the Bible narrative is filled with trees. We're going to look at four trees, the tree of life this morning, the tree on fire next week, the burning bush, the dead tree, which is the cross, and coming back to the future tree of life at the end of God's book. So we put this tree in our house, we decorate it with lights and ornaments, we call it a Christmas tree. It's a, it's a great old time, a jolly good time, if you will. But I wonder how this tradition comes about. So I did a little research and I found out where this tradition of the Christmas tree comes from. You may not know, you may know, some of you smart ones may know in this room. But uh, late in the, in the Middle Ages, Germans and Scandinavians placed evergreen trees inside their homes or outside their doors to show their, ho- their hope of the forthcoming spring, that spring would come. But the first Christmas trees were actually decorated by Protestant Christians in the 16th century in Germany. And our modern Christmas tree evolved from these early German traditions. Now, the first recorded decorated tree was, that I found was from 1419. It was a guild in Friarburg, excuse me, and it, they put up a tree and decorated it with apples, flower paste, wafers, tinsels, and gingerbread. They would have these plays on December 24th called Paradise Plays. And they would tell the story from Adam and Eve to the time of the birth of Christ. And these Paradise Plays were performed to celebrate the feast of Adam and Eve, which fell on Christmas Eve. And the Tree of Knowledge was represented by an evergreen fir with apples tied to its branches, and which came into homes as decorations and thus the Christmas tree. So the first Christmas trees were, were decorated with wood, thread, straw, apples, nuts, and pretzels, if you were wondering what it was decorated with. So this Adam and Eve-like play creates what we now call the Christmas tree. And so this kind of throwback to the Middle Ages of where we're going to look at these stories leading up to Emmanuel... God with us as we look at the theme of the trees throughout the Bible. The first few pages show us the significance of trees. And it's interesting that Genesis 1 recounts 
the six days of creation. Uh, in, in Genesis 1, there's a parallel between days 1 through 3 and days 4 through 6. They may show something on the screen for you to look at. But in day 1, the light of the day is the presence of God that separ- and God separates the day from the night. And then day four, the parallel to that is he places the, the, the great light of the sun and the lesser lights of the moon and stars to govern the night. In day two, he separates the skies and the waters. And day four, he creates the birds that fly in the sky and the fish the great creatures of the sea in the water. You can see the correlation. Day three, he creates land and all the plants and vegetations. And a special piece to his creation, he mentions the trees. And he mentions that they will bear fruit in their seed according to their kind. And of course, we know that day six, God creates all the animals to fill the land in which he is created. And the most special of his creation, he creates man, both male and female. He created them. And in verse 28, guess what? Just like the trees are to be fruitful and bear fruit, he calls man to be fruitful and multiply. God is showing us here in the first pages of the scripture, the very first page of scripture, that the trees will play a significant part of the story of the Bible. Even the Hebrew words are pointing to the significance of humans and trees. Both come from the ground. Adam in the Hebrew literally means man, and Adama means ground or dirt. Human from the Latin word humus. English word human is actually from the Latin word hummus, which is earth or ground. Apart from God and humans, trees is mentioned more than anything else. Over 800 appearances in scripture and Jesus uses the metaphor of trees often. He uses the vine, which is a type of tree, the fruit of the spirit, the tree that does not bear fruit, the sowing of the seeds. Psalmist uses this metaphor as humans like a tree planted by streams of water and which produce fruit in its season. But this morning we're going to look at the very first tree in which God describes. It is the tree of life. It is the place in which God dwells with man in the garden of Eden in which he is created to dwell and be in God's presence forever. Eden is the word that means delight. And we are going to go back and be transported back into this garden to look at the very beginning of the tree of life. We begin to look at the significance of this tree. What is it? Why is it there? Can we return to it? And how do we eat of the fruit of the tree of life? Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. And we will begin there. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word, 
We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon, and the one that flowed from the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You can be seated. Let's pray for the Lord to bless our time together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Christmas season that we come to celebrate you coming to dwell among us with man. And Father, may we turn our attentions to your word and to the scriptures to help us to understand the truth of, Father, why you want to dwell among us. Help us to people, help us to be a people that see who you are, that you are life-giving, that you are the good God of grace. And that you have given us the gift of eternal life. Father, we thank you for this morning as we search the scriptures and hear the truths of your word. May we be reminded of what this season is all about. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a tree in the midst of the garden that symbolizes being in this presence or partaking of the presence of God. Taking and eating of the fruit that God has provided. And we know the story, right? We read up until this part, but we know what happens in chapter 3. The serpent comes onto the scene The serpent causes mankind to go their own way, to take and to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, signifying going their own way, making themselves out to be God, knowing right and wrong 
for themselves instead of trusting or placing their faith in God's design, God's gift, God's provision from the tree of life. And eating of this tree now that has now become forbidden becomes this narrative focus for which the whole story of the Bible will unfold. Look at, at the end of chapter 3. The tree of life now comes is now becomes forbidden for man to eat. Look at the end of chapter 3, verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. These cherubim are these angelic-like creatures that are now guarding the tree of life with the flaming sword. You shall not pass, right? That's kind of what the the picture is for us. And now the rest of the Bible unfolds. God has given this provision of eternal life. And yet they have chosen to go their own way. How Will this unfold? What does this mean for God's creation? Will they reflect the image of God? Will they receive the gift that God has given of eternal life? How do they return back to the garden? And God shows us in this beautiful book called the Bible, his way of man's return to the Garden of Eden. It will take the atonement for sin from a perfect high priest on behalf of the people for them to return to paradise and once again partake of the tree of life in the new Jerusalem, the new Garden of Eden. So let's look at the text for a minute here. In chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So God tells us that he places the man in this garden-like place in the presence of of God, We know that he walks in the cool of the day in chapter 3 to do two things, to work it and to keep it. This is our first point this morning, and he tells us a lot throughout the scriptures about this point. But this point this morning, God desires for his presence to dwell with his people. God places man in the midst 
in the midst of the presence of God. He places him in this garden to work it and to keep it. Verse 9 tells us that in the land of Eden, God creates a garden. So there's an outer part and then there's an inner part in this garden. And then he calls another place in the middle of this garden, the tree of life. And there's another tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And verse 15 gives us this statement, to work it and to keep it. Also, it can be translated to minister and to guard. It will be translated in English throughout the text. To minister and to guard. But here in in the ESV, it says to work and to keep. And where do we see these words in the Hebrew used over and over and over again? It is with the Levitical priests who would work and keep the tabernacle. And then the temple, the dwelling place of God among his people. They would work it and they would keep it. Numbers 3, 7, and 8 uses this language. They shall keep guard over him, talking about the high priest, and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting. And they minister, work is the translation in the in this, in this chapter 2 of Genesis, but Numbers, it's translated minister. Same word, at the tabernacle. Verse 8, they shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. To work and to keep. It's only used here in Genesis 2 and with the Levitical priests. Avad and Shamar, those are the Hebrew terms, to work, to minister, to keep, to guard, in the presence of God. This is what they are called to do. This is what God has called Adam to be, to work and minister in the presence of God, to keep and to guard the place in which God dwells among man. So Moses, the biblical author of the first five books of the Bible, is telling us that this is a temple-like garden. Here in the garden, God's presence is dwelling among men, which makes sense why the sound of the Lord is walking in the cool of the day and the Lord is calling out to Adam. He's speaking to him. Why? Because God's presence is dwelling here. This is where they meet. This is where he lives, in the presence of God. In fact, there are garden-like images that are in the temple. Even the lampstand, the lampstand itself is built like a tree. You might have seen the menorah-like look. It, so if the temple is referencing us back to this garden, the place where God dwells in their midst, in the tree of life, of the garden is significant. Remember, on Mount Sinai, they go up to the mountain. We'll talk about this next week when we talk about the tree on fire. 
God's people are like, we cannot go into the presence of God. That is scary, right? He is too much for us. The mountain is full of smoke and fire is coming down from the mountain. These, these thunderous, loud noises. The people, are, it is too much for them. Let Moses go up into the presence of God and we will do what he says. And God comes back from Moses and Moses declares in Exodus um, God declares to Moses in Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all its furniture, so you shall make it. The significance here of many chapters of lining out exactly how the tabernacle is to be built is so that we see the presence of God dwelling among his people like he dwelt in the Garden of Eden. And what is in the midst of the temple is what we would call the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant, the place, the mercy seat, the place where God dwells. God's presence dwelling among his people The high priest would only be able to enter in into the Holy of Holies once a year. Could not enter into the presence of God. And it tells us here in Genesis that the tree of life is where? In the middle of the garden. It is probably this place where God would meet Adam and Eve. The tree of life is significant. Why? Because it emanates God's gift of life to man. Taking and eating of this tree of life is essentially taking and eating from what the giver of life has provided for them. So this Eden was pictures again in the tabernacle and then the temple with God's presence dwelling among his people. And you remember and you recall this, this issues of, of God's people not obeying God's word and they becoming destroyed and becoming an exile and all of these problems, all of these issues happening Babylon eventually comes and destroys Jerusalem and destroys the temple. But before it's destroyed, we have this picture of God's presence leaving the temple in Ezekiel. He gives us this this picture of God's presence leaving the temple. And that's when the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar, the glory of the Lord has left dwelling among his people. That's, they rebuild the temple. I mean, Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuild Jerusalem, but the presence of God, it doesn't tell us that it has returned. But the glory of God would return, and it would dwell among man, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. 
God with us. John writes this in John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the one and only from the Father. Full of grace and truth. You see the picture, the story is unfolding for us. Even in the Garden of Eden, God is providing himself the presence to dwell among men, even in his wickedness and his sin, and ultimately he will come as Jesus, Emmanuel. Jesus called his body the temple of the living God, God dwelling among his people. John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Jesus doesn't end there with this temple theme, this garden-like theme, God dwelling among man. It doesn't end when Jesus goes into heaven after his resurrection. He tells us that he would send the Holy Spirit to indwell his people. And sure enough, tongues of fire would come down upon the apostles. The Holy Spirit now would dwell in God's people in his church. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen? God desires to dwell among his people. And the way he does that today is through his church, the people of God. Amen? Jesus' sacrifice has allowed us, remember the Holy of Holies, the the temple curtain was torn in two, and we have access to the living God. He now comes and lives among his church. But there will be a day when the fullness of the glory of God will be seen, in which God will dwell with man like the day in the Garden of Eden, eating from the tree of life. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You understand that there has to be a new heaven and a new earth because this is cursed because of taking from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We're going to talk about that in a minute. For the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. The sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, 
Heaven is now joining with earth. It's coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen. He is making all things new. You see, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob wants to come and dwell among his church. You. He wants to meet you in the middle of the garden so that you can partake of his divine presence. Let's continue on here. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in that day, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. This is our second point this morning, and it's thus. God has provided the gift of eternal life to his people. In the Hebrew, the surely eat, the command, surely eat, is translated, is, is literally eat, eat. It's a double eat. We, we translate it in the English, surely eat. But in the Hebrew, it's the same word used twice. Eat, eat. Eat of every tree in the garden including the tree of life. Eat, eat, God says. I have given you every tree in the garden. It's freely given in God's creation. Sometimes we view the tree of life as a reward. Well, if I, if I do really good, then I get to eat at the tree of life. No, God freely gives the tree of life to his creation. It is freely given. God, God is asking, he's commanding his creation to partake of his divine presence by taking and eating. This reminds you of anything? Take and eat. The Lord's Supper comes to life. And we understand that we are choosing to take and eat of the gift of God that he has given to us through Christ. The gift of God given to us that we are to take and eat. It is right here in the first pages of the Bible. Take and eat. Eat, eat. Jesus says in Matthew 26, 26, 
the, the story goes, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, gave it to his disciples and says, take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup when he had given thanks, he gave it to him, drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself and unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. You cannot have life apart from God's presence dwelling in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The tree, the fruit, the seed, All of these biblical themes coming to life from the first pages of Scripture. The beginning of wisdom literature actually begins in Psalm chapter 1 in the garden. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. This idea that God's gift of eternal life is given as a gift of his grace, that we must partake of it in faith. This is right here in the beginning of Scripture. We must have faith in the one who is able to enter in into the presence of God on our behalf to provide a sacrifice that is acceptable to God, that makes us holy and righteous and able to return to Eden. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. God's gift is given in the garden to take and to eat. It's also given in Christ to take and And to eat, to place your faith in the one who died in 
your place. Jesus says, I am the way. The way to what? The way back in to the garden. I am the truth. Truth against the lie. What is the lie? The lie is that you can do it on your own, that you can take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and I am the life. Take and eat so that you may have eternal life. But God's provision in the garden of the tree of life is also offset, right? By the choice to go one's own way, to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. And this is represented by the, the tree of knowing good and bad or the knowledge of good and evil. We read again, and the Lord commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat, you may eat, eat of every tree of the garden. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What does that say? It says, in the day you shall eat, you will die, die. This is our third point this morning is thus. Death will come upon those who choose their own path. Death will come upon those who choose to go their own way. The other tree is suggested that it may be in the middle of the garden. It's not really clear. In verse 9 it says, The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Does it mean that the tree of knowledge of good and evil is right next to the tree of life? I, I think it, it's trying to describe that on your way to the tree of life, there is another tree. And, and Eve tells us in chapter 3 in the narrative with the serpent that she sees it, that it's good to the eyes and it seems good to taste and it seems to make one wise. You see, there, there, there are two types of wisdom in the world. The world's wisdom, signified by the crafty serpent, and then the wisdom of God, trusting in the plan of God. And you'll see, throughout the narrative of Genesis, these men of God who trust God's plan, even when it looks hard, Noah building a boat in the desert when it hasn't rained. That is trusting in God's plan. And what does he build it with? He builds it with wood, right? How about Abraham who places his son on the altar, Isaac? And what is Isaac holding? He's holding wood, tree. They cut down the tree and place it in Abraham's hand to put him on the altar. They're trusting in God's plan. They're trusting. They have faith in God. 
There's two types of wisdom. Solomon actually recalls the tree of life in wisdom. He's in Proverbs 3.18, talking about wisdom, he says, She, meaning wisdom, is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, to those who hold her fast are called blessed. That, that's the same, same terminology. The blessed is the terminology of those who are entering in the presence of God in Eden. It's, it's this terminology of the tree of life. But, but we know that the woman, Eve, takes and eats, and then the man takes and eats to make herself like God, not trusting in God's wisdom, but taking it into her own hands. And we know that it does not end well. In verse 22 of chapter 3, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, in knowing good and evil, now lest he put out his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. This seems to be a negative. If they are now to take and eat of the tree of life, this is not good. They are sinners. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man in the east of the garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, death here, death is where the judgment and grace of God intersect. And what I mean by that, the problem is living forever in this cursed state. That is a problem. And that's what I mean by death is where judgment and grace intersect. The cross is also where judgment and grace intersect. Death. God has just stated in chapter 3 the curses that are upon the earth. There's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. Life is going to be hard and ultimately it will lead to death. The very next story is about Adam and Eve's children choosing their own way and it leads directly to what? Death of his brother Abel. We are cursed in this state. The tree of knowledge of good and evil has taken its toll. And now the tree of life is forbidden, placed under guard, or else man would live forever in this state, in this cursed world. And it is the grace of God that he provides death in this life. This is why he must make all things new. This is why the earth will be destroyed and the new garden will be established when heaven comes down to earth in the new Jerusalem. And guess what? We will be in the new Jerusalem and we will be in that new Jerusalem. And guess what else will be there? The tree of life will be there. And we will sit in the presence of God and we will take and eat 
of his presence. You see, the, the gift that God had given to Adam and Eve is also given again in the death and resurrection of Christ. Will you partake of God's gift of eternal life? Or will you decide to go your own way? See, the Bible, it comes to life. The Bible is, a, is an incredibly intertwined story of God bringing his creation back to himself. God's plan of making all things new. Church, we must trust God's word and we must trust God's way in every single day of our life. Sometimes it, it will look like the world and the way of the world is the way to go. It will look good to the eyes. They will look good to the taste. It will look good to make you wise. And yet, it will lead to death and destruction for your family, for your church, for those that know you. And God is providing the gift of Christ Jesus our Lord and saying, place your faith and trust in him. Partake of the gift of God that he has given through Jesus Christ. And let my spirit and the presence of God dwell in you so that you can obey and live a life worthy of the calling in which you have received. Church, this is the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus came to earth to make things new. And he wants to make you a new creation. He wants to put his presence inside of you to give you life. This is, this is incredible. We must respond And desiring to be in the presence of God. Do you desire that? Let's pray. Father, we